0: You're listening to the Support Report with Be Present, where we share real stories from young adults and how support changed their lives. Hey, you. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Support Report. We are Be Present, and I am your host, Justin Peters. And joining me today is my friend and the newest member of the Be Present team, Kiara Riga. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in September 2020 and is working as an active AYA cancer advocate. Kiara, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's start in a super obvious place. Why don't you explain your cancer journey?
1: Yeah, so um, I was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer in September of 2020. Um, But a year before that, I had gone in to have um, an ultrasound and biopsy on a lump that I had found on my breast and the um, radiologist kind of dismissed me out of the room and said, you know, it's just a cyst. You're too young. Um, If it starts to hurt, come back and we'll just drain it. So I went back, um, thought I was going to have this cyst drained and uh, walked out of there with what was likely a cancer diagnosis. And then a couple days later it was confirmed.
0: Did you have any, did you give any pushback or just accept what the doctor said?
1: I accepted it because he was so certain and almost shamey. It was like, oh, it's only three millimeters. Can't believe you even feel it. I don't know why you're even here. And I wasn't, you know, I have no family history of breast cancer. I don't know that much about cancer. So I had no idea. So I just, you know, he's the expert. So I believed him.
0: Mm. And it's so weird because you are not the first person to come on this podcast and give a similar story to that. And maybe that is just what it is with the AYA space. I know you you do this um, monthly post on Instagram. That's like, you're not too young. Uh, check yourself for, for breast cancer because it's becoming more and more relevant, not less relevant. Is that the case?
1: Yeah. So the um, incidence of cancer in AYAs, specifically breast cancer is on the rise. Um, Stage four is much more common at our age because we're often dismissed and we aren't told to do, you know, breast self exams and things like that. And it's just such a common narrative that you're too young, but in reality, we make up, I believe, 9% of the breast cancer population is AYAs. That's not nothing. And it's definitely not too young. I could understand if it was, you know, half a percent or something like that. Even still, every concern should be taken seriously. But 9% is not nothing.
0: And then breaking down your cancer diagnosis, I think people realize what breast cancer is, but you it's metastatic. Is that what you, so what is metastatic?
1: metastatic means that the cancer has left its original place and has metastasized to other parts of my body so that means for me I have it in nearly every bone in my body well not in my extremities but in like every bone in my core um, I have a tumor of some sort Um, some of them have poked holes in the bone the other ones have kind of made the bone thicker. Um, but yeah, that's what stage four means, but it can metastasize anywhere. Breast cancer likes to go to the bones, brain, lungs, and liver.
0: Hmm. So that's what stage four is whenever it spreads past those those areas.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Okay, and is it reversible or? No. Oh. So
1: once you're stage four, you are incurable and generally, eventually it will be terminal.
0: Hmm. And how does that make you feel?
1: I, you know, it's tough, but I think it's kind of forced me to think about what's important to me and not think so much about the quantity of time I have left, but the quality of it and trying to maximize, you know, the time off that I have from work and seeing the world and all of the things that are important to me.
0: Yeah, how long did it take you to get to this stance because I am assuming and if I was in your place, I would be devastated, upset for a very, very long time.
1: It was kind of a weird roller coaster. When I first got diagnosed, I think I was just a little bit numb to it. Um, I wasn't really I don't know. I was just like, okay, this is my new reality. And I thought if I could just, you know, be okay with it, then I would feel okay with it, but obviously that's not the case. And so um, eventually I was, there was a scene in Shit's Creek that just kind of triggered a full breakdown. And um, that took a couple of months to come out of, but with a great psych oncologist and, um, you know doing some work on myself i think i've i've come into a better place now
0: tell me more about the shits creek scene
1: <laughs> so um it was the cabaret episode and david had just told stevie she got engaged and Uh, Moira was talking to Stevie about it. And she said, you know, I'm really, it's not that I'm upset that David's engaged. It's just that, you know, I'm stuck watching everything behind the desk. And that really resonated with me because it felt like, you know, here, all my friends are getting married, having kids, seeing the world moving, you know, doing all of these things that I want to do and might never get a chance to. And so that line just, really resonated and I like immediately started crying and Mm. you know it's yeah it was the kind of cathartic uh trigger for what I needed to to really process within myself
0: yeah well I'm glad you're at a better point I'm assuming it's going to be a roller coaster ride and there's going to be ups and downs and that I'm just putting words in your mouth but you're not like hundred percent certain with the situation that you're, you're in right now, but I do admire you for doing a bunch of cool things. We were just talking before we, we pressed record here about surfing. Like one of these things that you tried for the very first time this summer, I think you got an opportunity through an organization and now you are taking control of that opportunity and you're going surfing again this weekend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I love surfing. I, it's like a really good way to just kind of turn off my brain, but just in general, I'm there's no later anymore. You know, there's no, Oh, I'll just try that when I have time. There is no time it's now. And the current Mm. treatment I'm on is working well. It's keeping me feeling pretty good as well. And that's not going to be forever. And so while I feel good, I'm just trying to do as much as I can.
0: Mm. That's cool. Have you hit a wave yet?
1: Uh, I've hit a few. <laughs> Last weekend, the the water was pretty flat, so it was hard, but um, I've done a couple and I've stood up. So getting there.
0: <laughs> well, I'm excited to see some videos hopefully hitting some waves here in the, the near future. So tell me about treatment. Um, what does treatment currently look like for you?
1: So for me right now, um, because my cancer is fed by estrogen and progesterone, I have to get shots in my stomach every month that shut down my ovaries. Um, and then I also take a hormone therapy that, um, shuts down any estrogen or progesterone, um in the rest of my body. Um, I'm also on a targeted therapy called Cascali. Um, it produces a lot of the same, uh, side effects as chemo does, but it's a lot more, um, it's not as, as harsh on the body. Um, so I'm thankful for that. And then I take kind of bone strengtheners and things like that. But the way that stage four treatment works is, you start on the treatment that is easiest on the body generally, and then it'll work for a certain period of time. But eventually, the cancer will understand how you're blocking it and start to outsmart it, that's what we call progression. And so once you have progression, you have to move on to the next line of treatment, which is generally much harsher. So I have this line of treatment and likely two others pending clinical trials, maybe more before I have to start going on your traditional, you know, intravenous chemo um, type treatment.
0: Intravenous chemo. Okay, that makes sense. So you'll you'll do chemo treatment and How long do you think until that happens? What, how long does it take for, for cancer to realize that and progress to be made there?
1: It really depends on um, the cancer that you have. And um, it it depends on a lot of factors, but this current treatment I'm on takes about uh, two years on average before the cancer outsmarts it. So I'm about a year in. Um, so think probably one more year, I'm not sure how long the other treatments that I'll be on after this one, uh, will, will last, um, for me, but they think in general that I've probably got 10 to 15 years total with treatment, assuming that the cancer stays in my bones. Once it goes into, um, like vital organs, like liver or lungs, uh, the prognosis is much, much worse. Mm.
0: So obviously a lot of what we discuss on this podcast and the overarching goal of be present in general is support. So what did support or what does support look like for you right now, both when you were first diagnosed and what has it transpired into since then?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, when I was first diagnosed, it was support kind of looked like, um, give me a second chemo brain. Mm-hmm. When I was first diagnosed, I had kind of the outpouring of support from it felt like every person I've ever come in contact with in my life, right? And you get, you know, different chemo care boxes and all of these, you know, cards and calls and things like that, but a year in, um there have been a few people who I wasn't as close with who have now become a lot closer, but a lot of the people who were there at the beginning aren't necessarily there now. So, um, you know, I think it- the best support that I got was the people who could kind of see what I was dealing with and anticipate my needs. Like for, for example, I had one time where I had this giant mouth sore in the back of my mouth and it was like right along the bite line. And so anytime I opened my mouth, I was like scratching this mouth sore and it was so painful. And so I didn't want to eat because it was just like really painful. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to talk. And my friend came over with, um, ice cream, homemade bone bra, some stuff to read, um, and just like, uh, you know, squeezed tube type things, like really soft things so that I wouldn't have to chew. And it was just the most thoughtful thing. And like, that was really, really important to me that, cause a lot of people, a lot of times people will come to me and say like, Hey, I would love to help. Tell me what you need. But a lot of the times I'm just so tired or I don't want to put pressure on these people. And so it's easier for me to just be like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, and go out and get it myself rather than asking for the help. And so I think the support where um, people are kind of anticipate what you might need um, is really, really helpful. I also, there were some really thoughtful ways that people have kind of shown their support. Like I have um, a group of colleagues who, um, have started, well, they started when they first heard I was diagnosed, but one of them every week sends me a beautiful, like, letter or card or small little something, and it's just the sweetest thing. We're almost a year in, and I'm still getting letters, and some even from people who, you know, it's their first time writing one, and so that's, like, the sweetest thing, um, that they they knew I would be overwhelmed with support at the beginning, and they tried to keep it going. Um, and then another one that I really loved, I had some friends buy, um, a charm bracelet for me and they each put on a charm that represented kind of our friendship and, um, it was just the sweetest thing. They wrote little, um, a little like letter to me, and each person wrote why the charm uh, represented our friendship and different things like that, which I thought was so sweet. And you know, because I was diagnosed during COVID, I wasn't able to bring them to appointments and to injections and things like that. So they had this charm bracelet that I could kind of wear and have them with me all the time in treatment, which I really, really loved, and I still wear it. Hmm.
0: Those are. Both genius ideas um, for mm-hmm. two separate reasons. The charm bracelet. And I've heard um some other ca- cancer patients mention mention the same thing, but this token of appreciation, necklace, ring, um, you know, the charm bl- bracelet, just something that it's a reminder whenever you're going through a tough period, or you're walking into a treatment that you're nervous about. I think that's really great. Also the colleague thing, that was a great anticipation because you're right. I think for me, from an outsider, I would have immediately jumped on trying to send something and I'm assuming 90% of people would do the same thing. And then you get 90% of your letters within the first month of diagnosis. Um, but having this like think one letter or something to look forward to week over week It's a really, really good idea. How did, how did, do you know how they came about that?
1: (laughs) I have no idea. And they didn't tell me they were doing it. So like I got one letter the first day they had asked me if I was okay, sharing my address. I was like, if it stays within this group, fine. Um, and they didn't tell me that they were doing the once a week thing and I kind of figured it out. I went to, you know, my best friend in the group and was like, Hey, so are you guys doing this on like a <laughs> weekly basis? And yeah, I have no idea how they coordinated it or decided it, but it's the sweetest thing. They always seem to arrive on like the hardest day of the week when I could just really use a pick me up. I don't know how they do it, but it's the best thing.
0: Mm. So did work, um, it sounded like they were pretty open-minded about your diagnosis. Did you catch any flack or were they kind of open arms? How can we support you?
1: Yeah. So that group of colleagues is not directly through my work. It's kind of an extracurricular program, but my actual like full-time job um, was super, super supportive. They did um, a fundraiser to my chosen breast cancer charity in October. And they've been so flexible with me, letting me go to appointments whenever I need. It's been, it's been really, really great. And they've been wonderful. I have an amazing manager who is so flexible and helps me, um, helps me get through this and still be able to work, which is really important to me. Yeah.
0: Let's shift gears to a topic that you wanted to talk about something we have maybe touched on, but never really fully explored on the podcast. And that's humor. And you're, it seems like you're in the opinion that cancer humor, it can be a good thing, um, maybe a little more mid, maybe catch some people off guard, but I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about humor.
1: Yeah. So, um, in coming on board with be present, I was kind of, we were brainstorming some topics and humor was one that continuously came up because I think it's one of the biggest kind of, um, separators between cancer people and non-cancer people right because we live in this very dark space like cancer is dark it's morbid it's tough and laughing about it just really helps to like lighten the mood and normalize it for me and it's great there's so many cancer meme accounts like I'm obsessed with uh at the cancer patient on Instagram I think it's hilarious and so relatable but like I remember the first time I told a cancer joke, I was on a call with um, some colleagues and we were talking about the COVID vaccines before they came out. And I was like, yeah, I'm so excited. You know, I'll be able to get it probably earlier because I'm immune compromised for my cancer treatment. And uh, everyone was like, but are you scared of getting something that's like so new? Like, I wouldn't want to be like the first person. And I was like, well, what's it going to do? Give me incurable cancer. And I thought it was like (laughs) so funny. And then I looked back on Zoom and everyone just jaws dropped, eyes wide, like clearly didn't know what to say. And so it's, you know, I don't expect any of my friends to be able to tell a cancer joke because I think a lot of the times people from outside of the cancer community just get it wrong when they're telling cancer jokes. Sometimes like the, the issues and the things that are funny to them throughout the process aren't necessarily funny to us, but kind of appreciating and understanding this new dark sense of humor that we've we've kind of gained through this experience and at least kind of laughing with us, even if it makes you uncomfortable, can be so, so, so helpful.
0: Mm. Do you have groups of other cancer patients that you see?
1: Yeah. So um, there's a lot of spaces on Instagram um, to kind of meet other people. I have, you know, a couple of cancer friends and acquaintances. I was also matched with um, an incredible cancer mentor. Hi, Lauren, if you're listening, Um, that has become like one of my closest cancer friends. And she's actually, my cancerversary is September 8th, and she will be driving from Missouri to California. California to come be at my cancerversary party, which is the coolest thing. Um, And I'm so very thankful for that. Uh, It'll be the first time we meet in person. So yeah, I think, you know, having these spaces of cancer friends is really, really key because no matter how much you try people in your circle before cancer aren't going to understand it. And I don't want them to, I don't want them to have to live through this, but at the same time, there has to be a balance of like allowing me to talk about it and not feel uncomfortable because it is the thing that kind of rules every part of my life. And if they're not on board with talking about it, then it's, it's almost a one-sided friendship. Mm.
0: Yeah. I assumed that was the case. Once again, I don't have any lived experience. It's hard for me to relate into some of these conversations that I have, even though the more conversation I have, the more I learn, the more I can, um, at least get an inside glimpse onto what you're feeling. But I just couldn't imagine going into a group where something like cancer humor is probably no big deal for you. You can probably open up a little bit more and make a lot more jokes because you know, that whole group's probably going to embrace that as well. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. There was one, there was this hilarious meme at the beginning of the summer that I wanted to share, but it was, is like when you won't let uh, cancer get in the way of hot girl summer. And it was this girl getting into a coffin shaped floaty on a lake. And I thought it was (laughs) so funny. And I almost posted it. And I was like, this is so dark. People who don't have cancer, like aren't going to get it. So I just shared it around to all my cancer friends. And, um, yeah, there's always, there's always going to be a balance there.
0: So transitioning to, into more the conclusion of our conversation here, you decided to become a pretty active AYA advocate. Was that from the get-go Were you publicly sharing and, and letting people in through your journey after, like as soon as your diagnosis went or what was that, that process like for you?
1: Yeah. So, um, when I first got diagnosed, I shared with all of the people close to me, but I never kind of posted, um, or shared more publicly for a while, partly because, you know, there were some family members who we didn't know how to tell yet. Um, and then also I was, there are a lot of things to be concerned about when you go public with cancer, right? Like Career-wise, that's not seen as a positive. I work in Silicon Valley Tech. I love what I do. If I were to ever lose my current job, I was worried about um, you know, going forward. Um and yeah, so that you know, finding a new job with this cancer diagnosis being public. And so that was kind of always on my mind. And I felt that I was called to share and I wanted to share my story and, and try and turn a negative into a positive, but I wasn't sure how I wanted to do it, what my goal was for it. Um, and so it took me a while. I was diagnosed in September. And then finally in February is when I started to be really open and share my diagnosis and, um, you know, created my cancer Instagram and things like that. And I finally decided to share because I felt like, you know, I have this story of being misdiagnosed for a year, like that's, you know, the advocacy side of it is so important. And that's what I originally wanted to start sharing and, and teach people how to self advocate in the medical system and things like that. And it's kind of just evolved from there as I meet different people and different organizations and, um, and kind of learn more about the cancer landscape. And that's how I was involved or became involved with be present
0: Mm. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about that. I am so excited to have you on the team here, Um, both from the content side. I think you bring a lot of great perspective. You have a lot of really great ideas that you're um, creating to help share out and be present. And we have very similar goals in terms of um, who we're supporting and the messaging that we have there. So what is your role now at Be Present? What are you most excited about? Why did you join? Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm officially now the survivor content creator at Be Present. Um, and I'm so excited. So I'll be creating at least one blog a month, but looking over the list, I think it'll be more than one. <laughs> um, I got a lot to say, clearly. Um, so I'm excited for that. And then, you know, anywhere you guys need me, I might be doing some, you know, videos for social or anything like that. Um, we'll kind of see where it evolves. But I think um the Be Present mission is so important. Like I, I heard from a lot of people that you know there's so much content out there about um you know, uh, like caregiver support and things like that, but it doesn't really extend past that. And there's this whole network of people around us who support us. And so when I kind of discovered Be Present and when I was introduced to you guys, I just felt like it was such a cool opportunity to share my story in a place where it's so necessary, right? We have so many organizations doing you know, so many different things, outdoor adventures, cancer care bags, like all of those different things. They're so important, but, and and I'm not disparaging that in any way, but with Be Present, I just think it's such a gap in the community. That's so important that if I can lend my voice and help with that at all, it's, um, it's really important to me. So I'm very excited about that. The first, uh, blog that I've written was about humor and it should be go live shortly um it might already be live i'm not sure when this podcast comes out so um yeah
0: yeah i'm, I'm guessing it will probably be live i think we also had a, a profile like who you are that's mm-hmm. also live right now so there's yes. um and then you gave like three ways to support um so that was a really great blog i'm excited about the the humor that's going to come out here i'm assuming um this this will probably be out by the time this drops and airs as well I'm hoping this isn't your last appearance on the podcast as well. I know we might have a follow-up or part two on that. So I'll leave people anticipating that as well. But in the meantime, if people want to connect with you, um, follow along on your journey, where can people do that?
1: Yeah. So on Instagram, I am at Chiara versus cancer. That's C-H-I-A-R-A-V-S-C-A-N-C-E-R. Um, so I'd love for you to follow along there. I'm sharing, you know, my... Uh, my story and my journey and everything like that.
0: Yeah. And you have really insightful captions. Like you've really put some thought into it. You've decided really how you want to speak. Um, And, and you always have some fun visual to go along with that. So I really enjoyed checking out your Instagram. So highly encourage everybody else to do that as well. So Thank let's you. end this conversation from a holistic standpoint. In your opinion, through your experience, what does great support look like?
1: So I touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but I think for me, great support is, um, a anticipating needs before they come and not, you know, putting the onus on me to let you know what I need. Um, and then also understanding that you are going to get it wrong and being okay with that and, and taking the constructive feedback.
0: Mm, I love that. That is really, really great advice for anybody out there that might be starting their support journey. So, Kira, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. So excited to get to know a little bit more about you and welcome to the team.
1: Thank you so much. This is awesome.